Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Say Yes, Choose Life. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, February the 16th, 2014. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. These ancient words from Deuteronomy 30 ricochet down to us today three millennia after they were written. Those two words capture the invitation of the gospel. Choose life. The Apostle Paul made a similar appeal to wealthy Christians in 1 Timothy 6.19. Take hold of the life that is truly life. And Jesus described his own vocation in similar words in John 10.10. I've come that you might have life, and have it abundantly. We should hear the invitation to choose life in the context of the greatest of all ancient lies. We read in Genesis, Then the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. This denial of death thus competes with the invitation to life. We must make a choice. In the literal sense of these words, we all face clinical death. Two of my favorite atheists get high marks for their brutal candor about fear in the face of death. In his book, Nothing to be Frightened of, the British novelist Julian Barnes explores his fear of death. The title of his book is a clever play on words. In the materialist view of things, we're told that death is nothing to be scared about. But wait, maybe, in fact, death is a nothingness that mocks any meaning to his life. In other words, you rightly fear nothingness. The certainty of personal and cosmic extinction, and the terror which absolute annihilation provokes in him, makes Barnes wistful. I don't believe in God, but I do miss him. Christopher Hitchens was equally honest in his posthumous book called Mortality. Facing death from esophageal cancer, he contemplated the poetry of T.S. Eliot. I have seen the moment of my greatness flicker and I have seen the eternal footman hold my coat and snicker, and I am afraid. And then there's Philip Larkin's famous poem, Obeyed, with its description of fear and death. Hitchens describes the poem as an implied reproof of Stoicism, and then he concludes, quote, Atheists ought not to be offering consolation either. The spirit of death manifests itself in many ways long before clinical death. It's obvious in our gun violence, our predatory economics, the wasteland that is television, 
the degradation of creation, our punitive penal system, our dysfunctional politics, and our drug epidemic. We deny death at our funerals. We glorify death in our war propaganda. In grotesque events like Hiroshima, observed William Stringfellow, we define our national purpose. In a few weeks, Christians will begin Lent by affirming rather than denying death. Remember that you are but dust, and to dust you shall return. And then with Easter, we'll confess that Jesus destroyed death, our last enemy. He disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He tasted death for everyone, and through death he rendered powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And so the paradox that by death Jesus conquered death. In her book, There Was No Path, So I Trod One, Edwina Gately's poem, Called to Say Yes, reminds us that our Christian calling is to say no to death in all its many forms. We can do better. We can do better by saying yes to life in those ancient words from Deuteronomy 30. And so listen to the poem by Edwina Gately, Called to Say Yes. We are called to say yes, that the kingdom might break through to renew and to transform our dark and groping world. We stutter and we stammer to the lone God who calls and pleads a new Jerusalem in the bloodied Sinai Straits. We are called to say yes, that honeysuckle may twine and twist its smelling leaves over the graves of nuclear arms. We are called to say yes, that children might play on the soil of Vietnam, where the tanks belched blood and death. We are called to say yes, that black may sing with white and pledge peace and healing for the hatred of the past. We are called to say yes so that nations might gather and dance one great movement for the joy of mankind. We are called to say yes so that rich and poor embrace and become equal in their poverty through the silent tears that fall. We are called to say yes, that the whisper of our God might be heard through our sirens and the screams of our bombs. We are called to say yes to a God who still holds fast to the vision of the kingdom for a trembling world of pain. We are called to say yes to this God who reaches out and asks us to share his crazy dream love. Say yes, choose life, from Deuteronomy chapter 30. For books this week, I review an anthology. The editor is Bill Wiley Kellerman. The title of the book, William Stringfellow, Essential Writings, 
Mary Knoll, Orbis Books, 2013, 234 pages. William Stringfellow, who lived from 1928 to 1985, was an American lay theologian and street lawyer who just might have been the most important Christian voice of radical dissent in his generation, even though many people have never heard of him. He was indicted for harboring Daniel Berrigan. He prayed a public exorcism of Nixon. He was booed at the first conference on race and religion way back in 1963 for saying that it was too little, too late, and too lily-white. He was the youngest participant and only non-academic invited to participate in Karl Barth's 1962 visit to America. His concern, he liked to say, was to understand America biblically as opposed to understanding the Bible Americanly. Stringfellow matriculated at Bates College when he was 15, after which he studied for a year at the London School of Economics and served for two years in the U.S. Second Armored Division. After graduating from Harvard Law School, in 1956 he moved to the tenements of Harlem and practiced street law among the poor. There he worked out his vision of the Christian vocation in the world, which for him meant a struggle against what the Apostle Paul called the principalities and powers of this world, Ephesians 6.12. Stringfellow read the Bible with a post-critical naivete that offended both liberals and conservatives, whether religious or political. The principalities and powers of modern life are the fallen ideologies and institutions in society that exercise the dominion of death over us. These powers are nothing less than demonic, according to Stringfellow and they come in endless forms and varieties. Corporations, the military, money, government, science, sports, media, technology, and even the church. And so Stringfellow called believers to recognize these powers of the bondage of death, to resist and denounce them, and to choose the resurrection life offered by God in Christ. In the shadow of death, we're called to choose life. This is the second Stringfellow anthology by Bill Wiley Kellerman, after his 1994 collection, which was called A Keeper of the Word. Together, they're an excellent introduction to Stringfellow's 15 books. The book concludes with a homiletical afterword by Daniel Berrigan that he gave at Stringfellow's funeral in March of 1985, and also at the end of the book a Stringfellow lexicon of important terms. Once again, Bill Wiley Kellerman, editor of an anthology, the title, William Stringfellow, Essential Writings. Speaking of writing, for movies this week, we've 
pub were posted a movie called All is Lost from 2013. Robert Redford, who's now 77 years old, plays a nameless man stranded alone 1,700 miles from land in the Indian Ocean after his sailboat bashes into a shipping container, which container, by the way, leaks tennis shoes made in China. He's not only nameless and the only character in the film, he's also speechless. He only speaks two or three times throughout the movie, and these are futile screams at his desperate fate. There are sharks, storms, leaks, and cargo ships that ignore him. The only thing we know about this character comes at the beginning of the film when he writes a short note of regret to his family. And now, adrift at sea, and despite his considerable heroics, he faces his own mortality due to the forces of nature, absurdity, and perhaps his own stupidity. This film got great reviews, but I thought it was just good enough. It's hard to look like a bedraggled castaway lost at sea when you're Robert Redford. Once again, all is lost, 2013. For poetry this week, we've posted one of the idiot psalms of Scott Cairns. Scott Cairns earned his PhD at the University of Utah. He's an American poet, memoirist, librettist, and essayist. He's a professor in English at the University of Missouri. This poem is called Idiot Psalm 12, with a subtitle, A Psalm of Isaac Amid Uncommon Darkness. O being both far distant and most near, O lover embracing all unlovable, O tender tether binding us together, in binding, yea, and tenderly, your person to ourselves. Being both beyond our kin and kindred, one whose dire energies invest such clay as ours with patent animation. O secret one, secreting life anew into our every tissue moribund, a fresh unto our stale and stalling craft. Grant in this obscurity a little light. Idiot Psalm 12 by Scott Cairns. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, February the 16th, 2014. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.